0: Pleasure that I come with you, come before you this morning. I have um, this has been a great passage, a great study for me this week. Great study when it comes to <clears throat> just what the Lord would have me to preach, and just what the Lord would was dealing with me in my own heart this morning. Well, this this week, excuse me, and into this morning, <clears throat> we we've come to the point in Colossians where. Paul is, is becoming more and more practical in his teaching. Now he, he, and this is a common theme with Paul, is he begins <clears throat> most of his letters with the theological basis for how we live. Every, every one of his letters is, is, that's a common theme, right? He wants you to understand about who God is, right? In, in a theological sense, because what we believe determines how we act, always, right? If we have a lack of understanding of who God is, we'll have a tendency to sin more, right? So what we believe in a good and bad sense always determines how we act. And so Paul has been going through the, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Before he gets into the, the nitty-gritty, if you want to use that term, to, do, to combat the teaching of the false teachers in Colossians, he's been talking about the glories of Christ, the supremacy of Christ over creation. Right? He's above all things. And then in chapter 2, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, he he talks about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, how we don't need anything else. We've talked about how Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. And as such, if he's fully God and fully man, we don't need to turn to anybody else for our salvation or for our spiritual life. And then he makes this statement in 2.10 that we are incomplete in him that we are in union with Christ. So if Christ is God and we're in union with Him, we don't need to add anything to that for salvation or sanctification. Because what these false teachers were coming into the church, and as we're going to talk specifically today, is they were bringing in subtle heresies. Some of the heresies they were bringing in, they they were denying Christ's, Uh, dying Christ's deity in the sense that he was fully capable of sanctification. He's fully capable of salvation. So he was saying you needed Christ plus something else, some addition to your life. So Paul has urged us as believers in chapter 2, he's urged us to, to walk in Christ based on what we know. In other words, walk is always our conduct of life. Live out what you know. And then he's also said, see that no one takes you captive. See to it there. It literally means watch out. Watch out that this world and the philosophy of this world, the philosophical teachings of this world, don't hold you captive. Bring you under bondage. Right? And the idea from that philosophical standpoint is, is, the, is a worldview opposed to what you know in the Bible? You can have a biblical worldview, and you can have a worldly worldview, right? It's how you view the... And he actually says that the the elementary principles is this world, right? The nature of man, the creation of this world, our need for salvation, future destiny, where does evil come from? All those elementary questions, you really only have two ways to look at things in this life. That's the biblical view, and that's the world's view, Right? So Paul has been telling these these believers and in application to us as well to to watch out because Satan always will resist the truth and seek to delude God's truth because he wants to inhibit the growth. Remember, he he can't pry us out of God's hand. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But the last thing he wants is an obedient, faithful Christian that glorifies God in his speech and his actions every day. So if he can inhibit your growth... And that becomes his goal, to cause you to fall, to stumble. And what he does is he does that through false teaching, and he does that in, in a way that, that seeks to add things to Christ. And what we're going to look at this morning, and what I've titled my sermon, is the common dangers in the church. Because the issues that the false teachers were, were teaching, the things that they were teaching, they quickly gained following. They gain a following, and they are some of the same things that we struggle in churches today with, right? you guys ever heard of a red herring? You ever heard of a red herring, right? Right? That's a common English term. I looked it up, and it goes back to uh, the earliest they can date it is 1691. So it's an old English term, right? Well, the literal red herring is is they would take a herring, the fish, they would cook it, Right? It would turn red because it's cooked. And what they would do, they would use this fish to train their dogs and their horses when they would take them go hunting. So what they would do is they were training their horses and they were training their dogs. They would place these red herrings along the hunting trails. And the idea is, as the dogs were supposed to be chasing after the rabbits or the foxes, that they would come along these fish. And the idea was to trip the dogs up or trip the horses up, who would be following some of the same sense. Okay? And so it would trip them up and it would cause the dogs to stop. And so the idea is, is they would train the dogs, they would train them to ignore the red herrings. And they would, it was just conditioning, right? And so we've, that, that term has entered our lexicon and we use it even in a literary sense. Right? In a sense of a red herring. It's, it's something designed to, to cause you to stumble or something to, designed to, to get you to chase after a, a rabbit's trail, if you will. To chase down the wrong direction. Even reading some of you know, the, the famous mystery novels are, are, are great in their, the way they use those red herrings. You think a, a mystery novel is going in one direction and all of a sudden a, a character is introduced and it, it causes a sense of doubt and as you get through the book you realize there's nothing there. It was designed to subtly shift your attention away from the direction you should have been going. Agatha Christie was very famous for these red herrings in her novels. Well, this is a picture of the false teachers. You see, they they come into the church and they're they're inside the church. And they introduce these red herrings. These red herrings are, are legalism. Red herring of mysticism, asceticism. Because they want these believers to follow them. And they, they, get a, they, they increase a, their following. And the, the, these believers, they get entangled with these isms, these red herrings, instead of being faithful and concentrating on their walk with Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, and we'll get as far as we can today. There's a lot here that's packed in, and it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful section of Scripture. And so like I said, I've I've titled this sermon, The Common Dangers Within the Church, because of all of these isms, we find, unfortunately, each one of these isms in the church today. And the sad sad thing is that these dangers are ever-present within the Christian community. I know some of you have, have probably experienced these issues in the church. Um, legalism, by far, what we're going to talk about today in a in very, uh, very specific way, uh, many of you experienced legalistic churches, legalistic people, and how that divides the body. If you put forth bad doctrine, unfortunately, people will follow and the false teachers here in Colossians had developed a following and it was influenced in the church. And this is what Paul the Apostle is writing about. So let's go ahead and look at the text and then we'll get started and dig into it. Verse sixteen. Therefore no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon, or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ let Lowen keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in the self-abasement and the worship of angels taking his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and do not <clears throat> excuse me and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole entire body is being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from god if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teaching of men. These are matters which have to be sure Appearance of wisdom in self made religion and self abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So, the first aspect we're going to look at today <coughs> is we to look at the danger of legalism. The danger of legalism. Paul says, first of all, verse 16, he says, Therefore, what is the therefore, therefore, right? The therefore, he says, He's making therefore in, in reference to all the things he's been talking about. Like you're complete in Christ, you have Christ, you, He is sufficient for you. He says, therefore, you have Jesus Christ and you're in Him, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink, respect to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath day. The word here for judge is, is literally to, to, to rule over, to make a decision based off of what is right or wrong according to the law. Right? We go before a judge, we want him to use the law as his standard, and we want him to, what, to make a just judgment. We're well, here Paul is saying, look, don't let anyone become a judge over you. Right? These false teachers were making themselves the arbiters of what is right. They were taking their personal standard, and they were looking at others, and they were making judgments based on their own personal standard. They were saying, like, this is what I believe is right. These are my preferences. These are my personal convictions. And if you don't follow those, then you are not a Christian. Or you are not spiritual or mature. And that's the subtle danger of legalism. Sad thing about this judging is that it's blasphemy. When we judge others... And we're guilty of this as well. When we judge others. We put ourselves in the place of God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He, he's dealing with the Corinthians on a very similar issue. They were judging Paul's ministry and his motives. Can you imagine yourself evaluating an apostle, right? Like we have the, the spiritual know-how to evaluate the, the life and the ministry of an apostle. But this was the Corinthians, and, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, Look, for verse 3, how about this? He says, it is a very small thing that I may be examined. The word examined is along the same line. is to develop a legal case against. It's a very small thing that may be examined by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. He says, I'm not even competent to examine my own heart. He said, verse 4, for I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me or judges me is the Lord. So when, when the false teachers were saying, look, don't do this or do this. And when we say that, when we say, look, you have to live by my standard, we put ourselves up in the throne of God. We take God off his throne and we put ourselves up there. And we say, look, we know what's best for you. And I'll give you an example because it's often it's hard to just think of things in general terms. You see somebody doing a particular thing in, in how whatever they're doing, a family. And you say to yourself, and maybe you say to yourself, or you say to your wife, or you say out loud, and you say, if only they would do this, I think if they would do this, their lives would be a whole lot better. Right? If only they would make this change in their life. If only they would do this, their lives would be so much better. I've heard people say that. I've said it myself. Right? What we're doing is... We're basically saying we know what's best for somebody. And the worst thing is, is we don't have full knowledge. That's, that's where the blasphemy comes in. God has a full knowledge of every person, their heart and their circumstances. And when we say, oh, I know what's best for them, we're basically saying that we're God. Right? And it's a blasphemy. Well, we don't know their motives. Our, our knowledge is limited. I was talking to one of my friends in seminary, and, and he he had approached something in my life that my wife and I were doing, and I ended up having to talk to him about it. And I said, look, brother, we often don't get to see what's in people's lives fully unless they reveal it to us, right? In other words, we don't always know what's going behind closed doors, people's, what they're dealing with, the things in their life. And my, my point to him was there were reasons why we were, we were making some decisions that we were making. And he didn't have full knowledge. Now, we were gracious and we worked it out and, in that sense, but, but that's the kind of things that legalistic people will do, is they will look at others' lives and they will say, well, I know what's best for them, right? Now, in some cases, now, if we're talking about sin, we're not, that's a different issue. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about decisions, like should they buy that brand new car, right? I, I, think, I think they should get a used car. Right? A car loses half its value. The minute you drive it off the lot, why not get a used vehicle? Right? I think they should do this. And do this, they're in a lot better financial shape. And they'll be able to save for their kids' college. You see how that goes? Right? Those are personal convictions. We place it on others. We think we know what's best. That's legalism. Right? We're, we're, and it, then, for some people, in a legalistic sense, not only do they say it to themselves or their wives, they go to that person and say, I think you should do this. Right? And if you don't do this then you're not showing a lot of maturity. You're not showing a lot of, maybe you're not even a Christian. If you don't go to church on Sunday nights, you're not every community, every community spirit, then you're not a Christian, right? We see, we take our personal standard and we apply it to other people. That's, that's legalism, right? Our knowledge is limited. That's what, when he says, don't let anybody judge you, know that God's going to evaluate your life. That's the hard thing about being a Christian. It's like we, we take up our cross and knowing that, God is going to evaluate our hearts and our motives, right? In, when I was in seminary, I, I wasn't able to make it to Sunday night services at Grace Community. It was a 45-minute drive. Sundays for me was a time of rest. time am with my wife. I worked two jobs, and I couldn't make it to Sunday night services. And you know what? There were people that, hey, you know what? You're not a mature Christian if you don't come to Sunday night services. You know, before the Lord, I, I, had, a, I had right motives and right heart. It was hard. It was a, one of the few times Beth and I could spend with each other it was Sunday nights, being in school and seminary all week. So you, you look at those things and, and people will, and false teachers are teaching this and people are, are taking it up and they're, they're looking at your life, they're looking at each other's lives and they're, they're saying, I know what's best, I'm acting as your judge. And they find fault and they criticize and they belittle and they intimidate and they condemn you because you won't follow their standard. Because their standard is what, is the determining factor of what's spiritual, what's mature, right? We have a saying where I'm from is, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do, right? Now, we're not talking about accountability, so I want to clarify that real quick, right? We are told to fellowship with the saints, right? Hebrews 10, 25, we are told to speak truth in love to one another's lives, Ephesians 4, 15, We do protect the purity of the body, the name of Christ. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 5. That's what Matthew 18 is all about. Church discipline, church restoration, right? Protecting the purity of the body. We are all necessary for growth. Ephesians 4.16. You see, God is going to judge us as whether we're faithful or not. Let me give you another example. So, Ozzy, obviously, I am not Ozzy. You know, I could say good day all the time, all right, and, uh, or right, or ya yeah, yeah, na, uh, but I'm not Ozzy, right? That's an obvious thing, and for those who listen to the tape or the CD, whatever, they can hear that. Um, I'm from the U.S., and if I, I take my life and I bring it here, and I judge Australia by that standard, then I could, I could be a legalist, right? The things that we've experienced are not better, not worse, they're different, right? For those of you who have come from other countries. Now, some things you say, well, you know, if they do it this way... I'm just kidding. Now, you know, you, you, you experience different things. It's not, it's not a better or worse thing, it's a different thing. But if I take my standard, and I say, we have to apply it here, and I have to force other people or... Force, as in condemn, criticize, right? We need to do it this way because it's done this way in in the states. Then I'm taking my standard and I'm 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 saying we have to follow that standard, right? But ultimately, that's it's a personal standard, okay? Because when you have legalism, legalism is Christ plus some religious activity. It's spirituality based off man-made rules. And the thing about man-made rules is if I say, like, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew tobacco, uh, what else? Uh, don't dance. And if you don't do all those things, you are, you're great. Guess what? They're just outward religious activity. They don't know anything to address our hearts. In fact, unbelievers can follow that same standard, right? Unbeliever? That's the, that's the whole deal with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were self-righteous. They had all these rules and regulations. And they were keen on following all these rules and regulations. And they were all what? Whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside. And the inside there was what? Full of dead men's bones. They were dead spiritually. So when you think about judging and you think about legalism, it's, it's, a, it's an outward game. right? There's no inward growth. We've all experienced legalists, and if you haven't, then praise God. I've known churches that are very legalistic. If you don't follow their prescribed set of rules, they're actually closed churches. You know what closed church is. Like if I was to go to that church and I'm not from that church, the communion would be closed to me, right? I couldn't become a member unless I was actually baptized in their church, right? You have to follow their. And you have to sign a covenant following their rules, wearing, ladies, you have to wear skirts, right? Guys, khaki pants, I'm good on that. You know, you have to wear a certain suit and tie, I wouldn't be good on that one, right? You have to follow their prescribed set of rules. And if you don't, guess what? Maybe you're not a Christian, or maybe maybe you're just an immature Christian, right? You see how this works? The legalism, you say that you have all these man-made rules, and if everybody doesn't follow them, then then they're not spiritual, they're not mature, or maybe they're not even a Christian. Now, we're not talking about obeying God, because we always obey God. We do what is right. right? But I love what Paul says back in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the same passage I was reading earlier. He says, Therefore, do not go passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things in darkness, and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come from God. Right? So when, when God comes back, when Christ comes back, He's going to evaluate each one of us. Right? When we think we know what's best for a person, we just need to hold on to that. Say, well, look, I don't really know. But God is going to evaluate their life. Their motives. All the things hidden. Because God is judge, not you. So we, we're told not to go beyond what is written, not to go beyond what God sets forth. So we are to obey God. We are to understand that immorality is condemned. We're not talking about somebody living their life in a moral way and us saying, well, you know, that's my standard. I can't apply it to them. I can't judge them. If somebody's living in a moral life, we are told to speak truth and love, hold them accountable because immorality is expressly condemned 1 Thessalonians 4, three. it's God's will to you abstain from sexual immorality. Right? We're not talking about common principles in God's Word. I'll give you an example. you think it's okay to invest in the stock market? Right? I've heard people say, hey, you shouldn't invest in the stock market. It's gambling. Do you know what the difference between gambling and investing is? The Bible actually says to invest. Ecclesiastes 11, Solomon says, spread your bread over the waters. He's talking about investing. Right? saving for a rainy day gambling is an immediate return you're looking for an immediate benefit immediate return so that you can be lazy ultimately because the fall when we when we fell part of the curse of the fall is that we work hard work is hard nobody likes to work right But that's our duty for the lord is to work hard if we're not working hard we're lazy and gambling is, well, I don't want to work hard. I want to get money quick so that I can not work. That's, that's a rude heart motivation in gambling, right? So when it comes to investing is you're taking what you worked hard for and you're continuing to work hard and you're putting some aside for a future when you get older and you're no longer able to work as hard. It's as simple, right? I'm putting money aside for in the future when I, my, my body is breaking down, right? And I can't work Fifty hours a week, but investing is one of those things where we use wisdom, right? We, immorality is convinced, condemned. Investing is is a is a is a personal issue. I believe the Bible preaches wisdom on those things. It's not expressly said go invest your money in the stock market, but we take the wisdom principles from God's Word, right? So. When it comes to legalism and it comes to obeying God, we, we obey what God has said. So we obey those principles that are specifically said. We also use wisdom. But we understand that we all have personal convictions, right? I remember this it was this Baptist church in, in a town north of where I lived, and they would come down um, in a group. The a lot of youth would come down in groups. And they would... Um, they would come into Chick-fil-A, and they would all be wearing, you know, the ladies, the girls would be wearing their long uh, khaki skirts and blue shirts, and the guys would be wearing the same thing. And well, we just knew. It was an independent Baptist church. They were very legalistic, right? Nothing wrong with khaki pants. I like them, and I'm wearing a blue shirt, right? right but they were, they were basically taking that standard, which the, the standard is, what, modesty, right? You want to teach ladies Modesty, teach gentlemen, modesty, right? Respectfulness of others and themselves, right? But you take that personal standard and say, all right, well, rather than teach the principle of modesty, we're just going to say, all right, well, we don't even want to get close to that principle of modesty. We don't have to deal with that principle. So we're just going to say everybody has to wear long skirts. We're going to dictate it. And to me, a member of this church, you have to. Guys, you have to wear certain ties because we want to be respectful, Right? So you're taking a, a, a personal standard and you're applying it to everybody. And you're, you're, and guess what? If you don't hold that standard, you're looked down upon, right? So how things that we do are not indicative of our inward heart, right? And Paul actually continues and he says, look, so let no one judge you, right? Don't take their own personal standard and make you live by it. Right? Because you're under bondage. But he says, and he gives five things. Food and drink, festival, new moon, and Sabbath day. There are five matters specifically that they were judging these believers on. And they were teaching this. Now, honestly, they were saying, first of all, they were saying food. Right? Dietary regulations. Right? They were even saying you need to abstain from it. You need to fast from it. Or maybe you should be eating these things. Right? An example of this would be Daniel. Remember when Daniel and his friends... They say they were captured, they were taken to Babylon, and they were standing before the, the captain of the guard. And he said, Look, you know, we don't, basically, we don't know about your food here, if it's clean or unclean, but we, we just want to eat, right? What? Just, we want to have water, no wine. We want to have basic food, no meat. And he said, Look, and the guy said, I can't do that. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be starving, and I'll be held in contempt by the king, and I'll be killed. And he said, no. Daniel's like, Look, trust the Lord, trust our God, trust us, right? So there were certain dietary principles that the Israelites lived by, right? The Jews lived by. They wouldn't eat pork, right? They wouldn't eat certain uh, meats. Lobster, if you like lobster, they wouldn't eat lobster, right? We crab. Certain things they wouldn't eat, okay? That's part of their dietary regulations. So whether this was Jewish influence on these believers or whether it was Gentile influence as well, either way, there were, these false teachers were saying, look, you have to eat a certain way, or you can't eat certain things. You know, I was in discussion with a Seventh-day Adventist, and, you know, Seventh-day Adventists they follow all the Jewish, or they try to follow the Jewish dietary laws, and they don't eat pork. Now, I love pork. love a good pork sandwich, good ham, right? I'm a pig-eating Gentile. I don't have any problems with that, just so you guys know. Um, that's basically, can you imagine if all of a sudden we said, you know what? We really believe God is leaving us to not eat pork. And anybody who doesn't, anybody who eats pork, I'm sorry, you're, you're just not showing a level of maturity in your life. You know, you're, you're disobeying God. I even have doubts about whether you're a Christian if you're eating a pork sandwich, right? But there are heart believers out there to do that. It may not be just about pork, maybe other things. You know what's interesting coming to Australia is I was talking to some people in Southern California and and I said, uh, they said, oh, you get to see kangaroos, and I said, yeah, that's going to be cool. I said, I said they're kind of like deer, like where I'm from, deer everywhere. You know, they bounce across the road, they're a danger. You hit them, they damage your vehicles, and then you can eat the deer. You know, venison is really good. But I said, you know, kangaroo are like deer. You know, they eat deer, they, they eat kangaroo, and they're like oh, eating a kangaroo because you know they've only seen these like nature shows where the kangaroos are very graceful and they just kind of bound around. You know, I'm like, like eating kangaroos. I said, yeah, they're just like they they couldn't imagine. You know, as they're eating their venison sandwich. I can't imagine eating, eating kangaroo, you know. Look, you, you um, and this can, this can be borne out, legalism in regard to food. Um, I had an experience where I, I had a family that I knew they would only eat, um, like, organic food, right? They would only eat organic food. And they what happened with this family, and they, they end up separating themselves from other believers, because of their personal convictions. Now, they believed organic was the right way to go. It's fine. I don't hold that. But you're fine to hold it. It's a personal conviction, right? And you can have those personal convictions, whether, whatever it is. But what they did is, is they would only invite people from the church over who held to that, right? Or somebody, you invited them over to your house. It, you know what? They were hesitant to go because they weren't sure if you were going to serve them organic food or not, right? Right? I remember in this particular case, we, we were invited over to their home. I went to the grocery store knowing their personal convictions, and I was like, well, you know, I don't really hold this, but I got some, some all-natural meat. And I remember going, and, you know, we cooked this meat, and they didn't even eat any of my meat. Probably because I'm assuming that they just made the statement, well, it's not going to be organic, and he's just going to bring some from his house. And I didn't make a big deal of it, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. You know, you, you choose to forgive and, and move on. I'm using this as an example of how our individual convictions, when we apply them to other people, we can cause separation in the body. And that's where it becomes sin, right? You can have a personal conviction. I'll give you another one. We'll, we'll talk about this one in a second. But uh, you use personal convictions that you have can cause division. You don't want to have, uh, you want to eat only, only organic or be all natural, right? But it's just a personal conviction. Right? The Bible doesn't explicitly say you have to be natural or organic. Or maybe you decide on your own. I had a friend of mine, he decided he didn't want to eat pork. He wasn't Jewish. He just said, you know what, I've decided. He gave me a bunch of reasons. I'm not going to restate them here. I was like, okay, fine, brother, but I want you to know that I might eat a pork sandwich in front of you. So you know, is that going to offend you? He goes, no. Because he understood. He was mature. He said, look, that's my personal conviction. I'm not going to judge you by that conviction. And we do that in our lives. And a lot of our own personal convictions are great, right? We, there's a protection principle. Paul talks about this in Romans 14 where well, we have our own principles based on our own past and how we know ourselves, right? We make these principles, these, these convictions in our heart to protect us from sin. I knew a guy that wouldn't go into a pub, right, at all. <clears throat> he, had a, he had a past problem in his, before he became a Christian of just terrible drinking problem. Like he wouldn't go into a pub. Like I remember one night we were, hey, let's go watch the let's go watch the the footy, American football gridiron. Let's go watch the the gridiron game. And we'll, you know, our brother, you don't have to drink anything. We'll get some hot wings. You know, a lot of the pubs have really, you know, it's good good pub food. We we're gonna get some pub. He's like, brother, he said, I just can't do it. I just I can't do it. It's just my my personal conviction that I won't go into a pub because of my past life, right? Now he, didn't, now, he was very mature in it. He didn't judge me and say, well, I'm less of a Christian because I'm willing to go into a pub. Right? And I didn't hold him in contempt because I understood where he was coming from. I respected that. We ended up going to another restaurant that had the, had the TVs up. but wasn't a pub. didn't have a, a bar. It was just a, a nice restaurant. And we had a good time. Right? Personal convictions. There's nothing wrong with personal convictions. But it's when we take those convictions and we judge others by our own standard. Right. You see how subtle that is? So the false teachers were coming in, and they were saying, look, you know, you can't eat these things. Wow, if you've eaten these things, you're, you're not a mature Christian. Maybe I even doubt your salvation. I can't believe you would do those things. And you can imagine, as a Christian, you're like, well, wait, wait a second. And then they develop a following, and you get a little group saying like, oh, well, you know, if you're a real Christian, you wouldn't smoke, Right? Let's move on to drink, because we'll get into that in just a second. He says, look, not only is it food, but it's, it's drink. Now, there were Jewish practices and Gentile practices about drinking and not drinking based on different times of the year, different feasts, different sacrifices. You know, alcoholic beverages is a big one in the church, right? Depends on where you go. Where I'm from, it's looked down upon. And so, uh, I always thought it was funny. Now, just so you know where I grew up, I grew up in Wilson County, right? Where I'm from, it's called Wilson. You have to say there's a T in it, but there's not really a T. It's Wilson Right? Wilson County in North Carolina. Now, at one time, this was about 30 years ago, 40 years ago, Wilson County grew, had the biggest tobacco market with the exception of Egypt. Like, that was always I thing I'd say people. We, we have the biggest tobacco market, sell more tobacco than anywhere else in the world except the whole country of Egypt, Right? Now, this isn't the case. It's kind of blended out now. Now, these are farmers. These are people, their lives are are bound up in growing tobacco, which would in turn be making what? Cigarettes, dip, right? Chewing tobacco, those kind of things, right? And so I remember my hometown, my church, we'd go to church on Sunday morning, and you go into the foyer, right before you go into the building, and there'd be ashtrays. Big ashtrays, and so people be smoking their cigarettes. They put out their cigarette and go in, and they get they walk out of church, and it's been you know two hours. Just kidding, it's been like an hour, hour twenty minutes, and, and the first thing they do is light up. Right? I remember talking to one of these guys and these gentlemen, and he's like, "Ah, oh, man, I can't believe I I saw. Can me remember I saw so and so drinking the other day? I saw him with a beer in his hand. Can you believe that? And He's smoking a cigarette. I'm just kind of kind of shaking my head. Gets well. Does he know you smoke? And you know, <laughs> a lot of the things that we we, we hold convictions are, are based on where we are. Obviously, Australia is, is far more relaxed when it comes to drinking, right? I know friends of mine that are in France doing ministry and they have, they have wine with every meal and wine before every meal and wine after every meal. I'm just kidding. They, they drink a lot of wine. So when it comes to drink, those alcoholic beverages, there are principles that govern our behavior. But biblically speaking, there's nothing forbidding a particular Drink, right? It's like Diet Coke, right? I don't like diet drinks. Sorry. The sucralose in there, the, the aspartame, the, the stuff gives me headaches, right? I'd rather drink, the, I'd rather drink the, the, the sugar soda, which people say is going to kill me anyway, right? right? So I can't win either way, right? But imagine somebody said, you know, you're not a Christian or you're not mature if you're drinking some diet soda, Right? It's not the alcohol, it's the heart motivation behind it. Now, in regards to alcohol, we are commanded not to get drunk. Ephesians, do not be what? Be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, right? right? We also are told in Corinthians that we are happy, willing to give up our rights for the sake of a weaker brother, right? For example, my friend didn't want to go in the pub, right? Whether or not I, I felt it was right or wrong to have a beer, I'm not going to drink around him. I have a friend of mine that is, has struggled almost half his life, different different guy, different situation, but a friend has struggled half his life with alcohol and being dominated by alcohol. I will definitely not have any kind of alcohol around him because I know it's a struggle for him, right? So the things, there are principles that govern our behavior, but this is false teachers and people coming into your life and saying, you are not X, you're not a Christian, or you're not mature because you've decided to what? Partake of some kind of food or drink, right? They're looking down on you. So we've got food and drink. Now the next three that Paul deals with, he talks about festivals, he talks about new moon and Sabbath. Now it's interesting when he does, he goes from festivals which are yearly or annual things that that were being celebrated. Then he goes to new moons which are monthly and then he goes to Sabbath which are weekly. Right, he starts broad and he works his way in. And then when it comes to festivals from the Jewish calendar, there were annual celebrations. You guys, if I said them, you would know: Pentecost, right? Passover, Feast of Booths, right? Those are ones that there are annual celebrations for Gentiles. There were special days; there were celebrations to Caesar. There were Olympic athletic games. They would have festivals in regards to the, that's where we get the Olympics. Okay, so basically, these, these false teachers were coming in and they were saying, "Look." You're not observing these, whether it's from a Jewish standpoint, you're not observing these so you are less mature. Right? You're not observing Pentecost. You're not observing Passover. You're not observing these, these feasts. Right? Or maybe it was some the Gentile influence and saying, well, you're not, you're not participating in these, in these Olympic Games. Think about that, your outreach to the, to the community and the opportunities you have for the gospel. Right? Look, whether you guys decide you want to go to the show, right? Adelaide Royal Festival, right? If you decide to go, I'm not saying anything wrong with it or anything, or you decide to not go. Maybe you have a conviction that, you know what? I just don't like all those animals. You know, I don't think you should have animals there. It's too dirty. I'm just kidding. But, you know, your personal conviction, you decide in your heart, right? That's fine. Make it a personal personal choice. But when you take your personal standard and you you say the others have to live by. That's where the sin comes in. Because what you're doing, you're separating yourself. You know the thing about sin is sin always separates, right? Sin separates, sin always separates. It separates us from God and it separates us from each other. And that's where judging is the the danger. It's sin. Right? We apply our own standard. So, for example, how many here, how many people here have, have ever celebrated Hanukkah Hanukkah, right? I never celebrated Hanukkah. You know Jesus celebrated Hanukkah? <gasps> wow. Right? John 10 says so that Jesus was in the temple, right? He was in the temple. He was in the and it was called it's in John 10, it says the feast of dedication. It's Festival of lights. Hanukkah. Jesus was celebrating Hanukkah. Right? Does that mean we need to celebrate Hanukkah? No. Right? We're not Jewish. It was it was celebrating the dedication of the temple, right, during the age of the Maccabees, recommissioning, a, a cleansing of that thing, of the temple itself. Right? We don't we don't celebrate Hanukkah. Right? Even though Jesus celebrated Hanukkah as a good Jew, right? We're we're Christians, we're Gentiles, right? So if a Jewish Christian was to come to you and said, Hey, you need to celebrate Hanukkah, well, why do we celebrate Hanukkah? We're not Jewish. Like, we appreciate that. We can understand it. Right, Passover. Why do we we don't celebrate Passover? We'll learn in a minute why, because they're all shadows. Right? The shadows of what's to come, right? Look, we don't have to observe these. These are based on conscience, right? Athletic festivals. If you don't want to go to the Olympic Games in those days, that's fine, right? So <coughs> excuse me. You know, you think about this specifically for us. So when we think about festivals, one of the big ones that I always get asked is do you think it's okay for, people to, for Christians to celebrate Halloween? Dun, 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 right? Do you think it's okay? The question is, do you think it's okay? That's the question I always ask them. And then they go, uh, I don't know. Right? Do you think it's okay to celebrate Halloween? Honestly, I've known parents that have no issues. They do trick-or-treating with their kids, that their kids dress up. I've known families that they close the door, lock the doors, and they, they watch Christmas Shows or Thanksgiving shows or whatever, they pretend like Halloween's not anything. I've known some families kind of split the difference and they go to these harvest festivals that typically take place around Halloween, right? Churches call them harvest. I'm doing air quotes, right? Because are they really harvest festivals? Even if there's like face painting and dress up and and they get candy, you see what I'm saying? So, you know, I've known families that they, they want their kids to participate, but they do it in that way. It's a matter of conscience, right? Matter of personal conviction and conscience, right? You put up a Christmas tree at Christmas. Personal, personal conviction and conscience. I am not going to think Jordan is less of a Christian if he decides to put up a Christmas tree, right? I'm not going to think that he is less of a Christian if he decides to take his kids trick-or-treating. Those are personal convictions, Right? We may, you may, in your heart, may have the, the five things that you disagree with about Halloween and you think are wrong. And Jordan may say, well, I have five things that I think are okay. Right? If it's not expressly forbidden in Scripture, it's a matter of personal conscience. right? And that's where judging comes in. We take our personal convictions and we make them so other people have to live by them. Right? We're all in different states of maturity. That's the thing we've got to Remember? Right, The older we get, the it even changes the way we look at things. The things I, I thought were okay when I was younger, that looking back, I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I should change the way I think. Or maybe that wasn't quite right. Or maybe I didn't handle that in a mature way. Right? We grow. We learn. That, that's part of growth as a believer. Right? And some convictions we retain throughout our lives. Right? I don't have any problems with drinking Coca-Cola. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to have a problem with that for the rest of my life. Right? even though some people would tell me that soda and soft drinks are bad for me, right? I just have to moderate that, right? So we think about festivals. You, you think about these things. We have to be careful. We're not judging others or being judged for that. Now look at New Moon, and let's continue. So New Moons, they, how many of you guys, and you don't have to raise your hand. You can kind of just nod at me. How many of you knew that a New Moon festival was a thing from a Jewish perspective? How many of you ever heard about that? Right? Some of you maybe, I get a, kind of a, maybe about 50, 50. The Jews actually celebrated the new moon. Every month, when a new moon would come up, they would have a festival, and it would be a day of praise and worship. And honestly, the Jewish calendar actually rolls over every new moon. Right? The Jewish calendar is different than the Gregorian calendar that we've used, right It's different. Right? The months overlap because they go by the new moon. Well, these are things the Gentiles, uh, the Gentiles believers, also have things where they would celebrate. There would pagan celebrations to the new moon, astrological celebrations to the new moon. There's special days, right? We we have special days that that can come up. Is it wrong to celebrate Mother's Day? <laughs> I had a friend of mine. I love this story. I have a friend of mine. He uh, he was telling me he got in trouble. And I said, What'd you get in trouble for? He goes, Well, you know, my wife and I talked about how Mother's Day is silly. You know, this was like a month ago. We talked about how silly it was and how it was just kind of a made up day. It's not biblical. It's, it doesn't really mean anything. And she was, and he said, Yeah, she agreed. And she actually gave some reasons she thought it was silly. And he said, he said, So, you know, when Mother's Day came around, I said, I didn't do anything. <laughs> and I, I said, Well, how'd that go? He goes, Not so good, right? <laughs> it's about man- he said, His words were, It was about managing expectations, right? Now, biblically speaking, there's no such thing as Mother's Day, right? It's a man-made day, right? But there are expectations that go along with that. Are you right if you're in your conviction, right? Greg says, you know what, sorry, honey, I'm the head of the household. I believe that, you know, Mother's Day is not biblical. As our family, we're not going to do this anymore. I'm tired of doing these silly days like Father's Day and Mother's Day. and." Suzanne's very graceful and very gracious. She says, okay, honey, you have to make it to me some other way. But, you know, she's very gracious. She says, all right. And their family stopped celebrating Mother's Day, right? Personal conviction. Well, then Greg decides, you know what? <clears throat> I need to go talk to Peter and Chad and Steve and the elders because, you know, this Mother's Day thing, it's, it's, if you look at the roots historically back in early Early uh, 1943, it was. I'm making this up. You know, it was created by a, a pagan woman who wanted to liberate women from bondage. And now I'm making this all up off the top of my head. So just so you guys know, it's not true. You know, and he goes to us and says, I think as a church, we should stop celebrating Mother's Day. So what has he done? He's taking a personal conviction and he's applying it to other people. Now, we're going to be gracious and say, no. Nah. We're going to say, yeah, no. Nah. Sorry. Yeah. We're going to say, you know what? There's expectations. You may be right, it means nothing biblically, but there's nothing wrong with celebrating it. And then it comes down to Sabbath day. And this is the one I want to hit, just so you guys are clear to understand. Do you know between the Old Testament covenants, there's always a sign? I'm teaching my son this. Do you know what the sign of the Noahic covenant is? Right? The covenant God gave with Noah, you know what the sign is? A sign is something, it's it's a physical picture that helps us remember... God's promises. The rainbow. Rainbow is a sign, right? The Mosaic covenant, the covenant that God gave with the Israelites in the desert, also called the Sinaiic covenant because it was in the Sinai desert. The sign of the Mosaic covenant is the Sabbath, right? The sign of the Abrahamic covenant is circumcision. The sign of the new covenant, we are in the new covenant, is what? Is the Holy Spirit indwelling us, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a sign, okay? So here, the Mosaic Covenant, the Sabbath day was a sign. Right? The fourth commandment is that the Sabbath day was to be considered as holy. It was a day of rest. Right? you realize every commandment in the Old Testament is repeated in the New with the exception of which one? The fourth, the Sabbath. Right? It's not repeated. Now, <clears throat> Seventh-day Adventists, and other Sabbatarians, that's what they're called, they would say that we need to worship the Lord on Saturday, right? Saturday, or Saturday in Australia, right? <laughs> that we should worship on the Sabbath. Well, well, should we? You guys ever thought about this? You have, have you ever had a Sabbatarian come up to you and say, well, why don't you guys worship on the Sabbath? Why don't you worship on Saturday? Well, it's interesting because... Acts 15 is, kind of gives you your, your answer. In Acts 15, you have the Judas, Jewish believers. They come to the Gentile churches and they say that you have to obey the law in order to be a Christian. You have to obey and be circumcised in order to be a mature Christian. Well, they had a council in Jerusalem and all the apostles got together. James, the head of the church, and they had a big meeting, had a council. And they decided that they would not burden the Gentiles with obeying the law, right? Or obeying the rules of the law. He says, Look, the only thing, in fact, he told him to do, he says, restrain yourselves from meat with blood in it for the sake of your Jewish believers, right? Imagine you're a Jewish believer and all your life you've been taught meat with blood in it is terrible. I love a nice medium steak, right? He so said just, he said at that time, remember the, the church was predominantly Jewish, right? So abstain from that just for their sake because they find it disgusting. he said, Stay away from idol worship and stay away from fornication. That's it. No other burdens. We don't have to obey the law. If if we were going to be forced as Gentiles to obey the law, then this is the pretty point we would have said, right? So thankful for that. Imagine trying to keep all those Jewish regulations that doesn't mean anything, right? In Acts twenty, it says in Acts twenty verse seven, they worship together on the first day of the week on Sunday. First Corinthians sixteen two, Paul tells these churches, he says to all the churches. Look, I'm going to for a collection for the poor saints. And when you meet together on the first day, put aside a little bit so that when I come, I'll have some money to get from you and we'll take them to the church in Jerusalem that's poor. And then you have this particular passage here. It says, Don't let others judge you whether or not you decide on, on a particular day or not. I had a friend of mine in high school that was a Seventh-day Adventist. And she would able to do anything with the group because on Saturday was her Sabbath, right? Remember how many times we've invited her, hey, come with us, we're going to the beach or we're going to go do this and a group of us and she couldn't come, right? Because she was locked into, well, I have to follow the Sabbath day, right? We, we don't have to follow the Sabbath. Christ's coming has come, he's fulfilled the law, right? We worship on the first day of the week like the early church worship on the first day of the week. Right? I don't, I'm not going to read it now, I decided not to, but I have here from, from Justin Martyr, right? Third century. He was writing in, writing in his first apology, one of his books, and he talks about how they worshipped on the first day of the week. Right? The reason I mention that is you'll have Seventh-day Adventists that say, oh, you know what, worship on the Sunday started around the 4th or 5th century. No, the early church worship on Sunday because it was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and they wanted to celebrate that and they knew and they understood that they were not under the Jewish law. So don't let, believers, don't let people judge you whether you want to, you want to do a, a day or a week or a month. And here's the reason why. We'll move on. Verse 17. These things are a mere shadow of what is to come because the substance belongs to Christ. You know what a shadow is? A shadow points to what? A physical object, right? If I'm doing, if I'm doing shadow puppets, I'm doing shadow puppets with the kids. and I'm doing dogs and cats and butterflies and they're having a grand old time. I brought in a real dog. How quick... Do you think their attention would go from my little shadow on the wall to, hey, there's a real dog, right? Or, hey, here's a butterfly. Forget Chad's little attempt to make butterfly shadows. Here's a real butterfly. That's what Paul says, the the law... Right Hebrews 8, 5, Hebrews 10, 1 says the law and the priesthood are a shadow that pointed towards Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law. Everything in the Old Testament, those sacrifices, those rituals, the Passover, all pointed to Jesus Christ. So He's sufficient. You don't need to add anything. You don't need to worry about special days. You don't need to worry about special months. You don't need to worry about special annual feasts. Because we have Jesus. Jesus was our Passover. So the substance is Jesus Christ. Religious ceremonies and rituals aren't the true measure of spirituality. Or your basis of faith. Jesus Christ alone is our salvation. And our growth comes from Him. Right? I love what Peter says in Acts 15. If you want to turn there with me, you can real quick. We're almost done. I love what he says in Acts 15. And this is the council, Jerusalem council, like I was telling you about earlier. Acts 15, verse 10. This is Peter when their discussions. He says, Now therefore, why do we put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? His point is, we had the law. And we weren't able to be saved by the law, we weren't able to be sanctified by the law. Why are we going to give that and make the Gentiles obey it? See, the Jewish system was to always to point to Jesus Christ. It was always to for people to, for the Israelites to come to God in faith. Habakkuk 2 4, the righteous man shall live by faith. The Jewish system was to point to a need for a savior. Right? You read the Ten Commandments, and you, if you're honest and you're evaluating your life, you realize you break every one of those, what, every day. That was the point. So they would cry out to God in faith and say, Lord, save me, I am a sinner. It was, faith is always the basis of salvation. God's grace. All those rituals point towards Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, don't let others intimidate you into following ceremonial or traditional religious practices that have nothing to do with your maturity or salvation. Okay? God desires His worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Any system of religious activity that seeks to add to Jesus Christ and force you to act in a way that's not commanded specifically in the Word of God is sin. Sin. Because it separates people from each other in the body of Christ. Don't allow anyone to force you by intimidation or criticism into following their own personal standard. We show charity. Now, we can all have different choices and we show charity, right? Graciousness. Remember all these things. Special days and food and drink are no profit. All that matters is your heart before the Lord. Romans 14, 7, the kingdom of God is not in food or drink, but in righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in Mark 7, 5, listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside of a man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man is what defile the man. He's talking to the Pharisees. They believe they could become unclean by eating certain foods and drink. You, guys, what, what, what we are is we're sinners on the inside, right? And when we're saved, we're, giving, we're born again, we're given a new nature. So things that we eat and drink don't defile us. Paul says, whatever you do, eat or drink, do to the glory of God. <clears throat> now we're just about done. And one thing I want to say real quick, there are principles that govern our behavior though, right? If you want to read the opposite of legalism, read 1 Corinthians chapters 8 through 10. Paul gives three chapters to address the license of the Corinthians. They said, they said fine, and they would be in the, they'd be in the audience here. They'd be in the congregation. All the Corinthians would say, yeah, yeah, we agree with you. Let's all go get drunk woo, at the Lord's Supper, which they were doing. Right? They would say, oh, we're, we're free in Christ. We have liberty. Let's go eat meat, sacrifice to idols. And we don't care if we came out of idol worship and you may be Right, hurting your conscience. we Whatever we want. We have freedom in Christ. That's the Corinthians. That's the opposite of legalism. Right? Paul gives some principles to the Corinthians. And he says, look, our, we have rights. But we, we govern our behavior based off our love for others. We have to be willing to give up our rights for the sake of our brother. Right? It's, it's people over preference. Right? When we get ready to hopefully buy a new property here soon, we may have to put down a new carpet You know what? I like blue carpets. Maybe Steve likes green carpet. Maybe Pete likes green carpet. Well, I'm going to give up my my right. You know, we'll, we'll give up my preference for these gentlemen who like the green. Right? It's about love. And legalism is not love. So the true measure of your relationship with Christ is not based on externals, but the inward position of your heart. So I guess the question for each one of you is, how is your relationship with Christ? Right? Are you, do you have legalistic rules that you follow and, and you think because you do these things you're alright with the Lord? And, and as long as you do those things you're okay? Right? Are you saved? First of all, are you walking with the Lord? Is there a relationship there beyond those external activities? If someone comes to you, whether it's a false teacher or one of the false teacher's followers, somebody comes to you and says, you have to do these things. Reject their legalism. <clears throat> Do you hear about this lady over in Perth? I've been reading about this. It's so funny. It's funny in a sad sense. <clears throat> but she uh, she's a vegan. She got upset because her neighbors were uh, doing the good old Aussie thing, and I would say Southern American thing, and barbecuing all the time. And she got upset. The smoke from the barbecue kept wh- whifting over from their houses. Well, she decided to take them to court, right? She said, my standard is veganism, and I can't even stand the fact you're grilling. And she took him to court, Now oh, he got slapped down twice. Even the Western Australian Supreme Court ruled that yeah, this is ridiculous. And now what they're doing, they originally were going to organize a barbecue off. All our neighbors are going to get together on their property and grill meat. I thought was a little antagonistic. So now they decided, you know what? There's probably, it's probably going to be some legal issues there. So maybe we'll instead, we'll have a barbecue day. And I'm going to call it the Worldwide Barbecue Day. And everybody's going to grill, basically to kind of, you know, thumb their nose at this lady. Right? She's a busybody. You see, that's, that's legalism, right? If you have a personal conviction, you think everybody else should live by it. Right? Well, re- guys, remember that everyone is different. We all have personal convictions. We're all growing, right? We're Not all in the same spot. Honor each other's convictions, right? Know that people have their personal convictions for a reason, right? We don't look down on them. We don't think less of them. We also don't allow them to apply that standard to us, right? We want to hold what's true to the Word of God. We want to live by the Word of God and the wisdom principles that it expounds. Right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Father, what a challenge it is for us today, Lord, to to resist legalism, not only in our own hearts, No, Father, just our own hearts to start with. Lord, how often that we can look at others and we say if they would only act a certain way, they would be as righteous as us. Oh, Father, forgive us. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us of our judgmental attitudes. Help us to accept others and their convictions, knowing that we're all growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, help us to resist false teachers who expound religious ceremony, religious rituals that that put forth personal convictions for us to live by. Help us to not add anything to Jesus Christ and His Word. Father, we love you, and we thank you again for this time, and we just pray we would live lives glorifying the you in the grace that we know we have. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.